When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. And here is Smithy Sermon. Cricket in some form in the Olympics. I can't warm to it. T20 version would take too long. as cricket always is totally weather dependent would have to be played at several venues. A window in the calendar would have to be found. The IOC would dictate that, not the ICC, and I can't see that being an easy agreement either. Men's and women's competition would have to be played to be inclusive, so double the logistics. And the players, who would turn up? Would the lure of a gold medal be enough? For many, nah. The Olympics should be the pinnacle for a sport, for a sportsman, the ultimate prize. Cricket already has enough of those. It should be a showcase, it should be at its best. Again, I can't really see it. T10 cricket, mooted by someone, is not cricket, so take it out of the name and take it out of the frame. Six aside, they tried that in Hong Kong, wasn't really a goer. They've had two aside double wicket competitions. It was a novelty there, but no thanks. Cricket Max, now there's a thought, but not a serious one. Cricket in its proper form, its real sh- showcase is a thing of beauty. To be fair, none of these fit that description. Come to think of it though, I once saw Merv Hughes bowl a hacky sack to Andrew Hoare and Molly Malone's at one o'clock in the morning. It was a great spectacle and the crowd loved it. Great atmosphere. Truly, that was a showcase. But really, nah, sorry, not for me. Stay at home cricket, save it for the tradition. It wouldn't grow the game globally. Give me wall climbing any day. Nine oh seven here on SENZ. Uh, slightly slow start this morning, but we're up and running, and that's fantastic. And the great news is too, we're joined by CEO of Eden Park, Nick Saunter. Uh, as we look forward to part two of a double header. Good morning to you, Nick. Kia ora, and thanks for your time. Hey, thank you. Look, uh, ticket sales first of all. How are we looking uh, for uh, second part of the of this double header? Well, this is obviously uh, history in the making to have back to back test matches at Eden Park. It's the first time in ninety years. We're just encouraging people. There are plenty of tickets still available. Um, adults from $80 and kids from $25. Um, it's great value. It's the opportunity to see uh, the winning streak continue with uh, 35 years winning streak at Eden Park, um, an 88% winning record for the All Blacks and the spiritual home, the Fortress Eden Park. 
Okay, right. Let's uh, while we've got you here, let, let's talk about the logistics of running something like this because I, I reckon it's really interesting. Uh, how how does running Eden Park for an event like this, and you've been sprung the second one by surprise, so there's a lot of um, toing and froing, I guess, going on. But what, what is how how's it involved? How, put it this way: How many people ha- have you got employed at Eden Park on a normal day, and how many people when you've got a a match day like the, the Bledisloe Cup? That's a great question. It's like running a small city. Uh, on a non-event day, we've got uh, a pretty lean team at around 32 staff. Um, we scale up to over 3,500 across our varying work streams. That's from catering, cleaning, security, traffic management, turf management, maintenance and operational staff. So um, it's a phenomenal effort for us to be able to do so. Um, we know there's always going to be challenges. We know in the hospitality sector, COVID has affected uh, a skill shortage last weekend. We had 700 new staff on site. Um, but then from a street to the seat perspective, we understand that uh, the supply chain with the local community, uh, the restaurants, cafes, bars in Kingland and Dominion Road, there's significant economic benefit arising from um, events at Eden Park. So let's look at the, uh, perhaps security. I mean, security is a big presence in most sport and most concert, etc. these days. How big is your security operation? How, you know, and how, how expensive is it? I mean, I look at those, uh, those uh, orange outfits and I think, man, there's a lot of those people around here today. There's a significant workforce across all those revenue streams, as mentioned, and um, it contributes to employment, it contributes to the economy. Um, we know that um, depending upon uh, the size of the, the crowd, we scale up from maybe as low as 100 for a, um, a, a sort of a crowd of five. Uh, 5,000, up to over 350 security staff on an event day for a sellout fixture at Eden Park. Then you've got a security overlay um, in in addition with police. Um, And then even from a traffic management perspective, uh, there's uh, significant infrastructure that gets put out uh, in the hours leading up to the event. Uh, We have close to 60% of our crowd now coming via public transport. So with that connectivity into Kingsland, and that's only going to improve with the CRL. And then light rail, uh, should that proceed down either Dominion Road or Sandringham, um, will be six minutes to town. So it's, it's exciting times at the park with uh, the current calendar of events, uh, but also the future calendar of events. Of course, the logistics around Eden Park, with the big crowds you've got, it's not like uh, a lot. You've got your bus hub there, which uh, takes up a lot of, possible parking space but it's involved of course in transporting the public on mass in and out uh, a lot more readily so uh, not a lot of parking around the stadium closes you, you close off the road so in that respect uh, you would probably encourage people not to drive to Eden Park I'd imagine. That's right public transporters and as you'd know with venues around the world um, people just don't catch uh, they don't drive to, to events uh, whether it be Wembley's um, or indeed uh, Twickenham. Um, you know that uh, ovals like the Oval in London or um, in Manchester, um, you'll see the facilities, they're in, within the community, they're central to the community. I do often say to people in 70 AD, uh, the Coliseum was built in a residential area and it brought the community together. Um, so, yeah, we encourage people to catch public transport um, and that allows them to have a good night. Um, if they want to have a few uh, drinks, in Kingsland prior to or in Dominion Road or at the event. Um, we want people to be safe uh, and secure and uh, 
the, the team here at Eden Park, they've got a lot of experience, whether it be through Rugby World Cups or Cricket World Cups. Um, I, I'm very proud of uh, the lean team and what they're able to deliver. But, yeah, our focus now is for this weekend to just encourage as many people to come along. Um, it's an opportunity to see uh, potentially the Bledisloe Cup being retained by the All Blacks at the Fortress and, um, and making history again. There's very few venues in the world currently operating with patrons, um, and we're very fortunate in this country. We've got no real surety about uh, the future, so um, this might be the last chance uh, for everyone in New Zealand to see uh, international rugby uh, in this country uh, this season. That's an excellent point, actually. Uh, Nick Sorton here, uh, CEO of Eden Park. It's 9.12 on SENZ. Mornings with uh, Ian Smith. Uh, look, Nick, um, the other thing that is, is rearing its ugly head for, for you people trying to run events these days is, is the COVID protocols involved in that. Now, uh, I'm, I've come there as a, as a worker in terms of being with Sky Television, so I know that we have to, uh, we go through the, the system and, and we have to sign a declaration, basically, and we get checked in and checked out. But that doesn't apply to the public as such. But what kind of COVID protocols can you have with a, a crowd of 40,000 plus? Well, we've just uh, worked with government over the last 12 months and, and it's a really um, important part of our planning. Um, and that's communication in advance to say to people, if you're not feeling well, don't come along to the event, whether you're an employee or a patron. Um, when you're at the venue, making sure that people are washing their hands and drying them, um, if they're coughing, coughing into their elbow, uh, ensuring that um, they're scanning in. We've got the QR codes around the venue. The beauty of stadiums is that we know where people have scanned their ticket, uh, what seat they're seated in. Um, we ensure that our cleaning protocols have been stepped up, whether it be in those high utilisation areas. And, um, and really from our side, we've led the world in terms of um, being able to showcase what is possible. Um, we talk about the team of 5 million. We look back at the Super Rugby Aotearoa sellout. Um, coming out of our first lockdown, uh, to have then sell-out events like 660. It's the largest concert post-COVID uh, in the world. And, uh, and then now to have back-to-back Bledisloe Cups. We really should be very proud that we can do this, um, that people are following the protocols. Um, but also, again, I just encourage people, this is an opportunity for escapism. This is an opportunity to see the best teams in the world perform. And um, why wouldn't you? It's... Uh, it's looking like a beautiful day in Auckland today. Uh, let's hope that that continues for the weekend and, uh, again, be part of something really special. I guess one of the things, Nick, you have to defend all the time is the cost. The cost of, of people coming, the cost of a ticket is 80 bucks too much to watch the All Blacks. You know, the price of, uh, of, the, of the alcohol or the drinks and the food and that sort of thing. I, I guess that's probably uh, the hottest ticket for you when it comes to feedback. The challenge is, is that we're a billion-dollar asset and um, we've really focused on the last three to five years about seeing increased utilisation. Last night, uh, we were fortunate to have Barford and Thompson, close to 1,000 people here, raising funds to Starship. Uh, we had the Barrett brothers here as a fundraiser um, with Upside Downs, a, a charity that supports um, kids with Down syndrome. So we are trying to utilise the park more than just for a cricket and rugby facility. That then helps with continuity of staff, but also um, reducing costs. Um, 
as you can imagine, um, to maintain a venue of that scale when it's only been used historically a few times a year is challenging. Um, but I look at it more like a, a library. Um, the community invests in a library because we know it's important to educate our youth and our um, whānau. Uh, in this regard, I see stadiums as something that is critical to be invested in. Um, what would a world be without uh, live sport and entertainment and without having that ability to go and see your heroes perform um, on, I think, one of the, the most uh, historic and most uh, significant sports grounds in the world? In the NRL grand final, it's been talked about in public. It's been mooted by uh, some across the Tasman. It's been poo-pooed to a, an extent by the Prime Minister at this point not because of the venue or anything, but, but because of protocols and quarantine, etc. Would you be ready? Would you be ready if somehow they found a way? We could deliver that event, and um, it would mean between 6 and $10 million of gross receipts for the NRL. And also from a player perspective, playing in empty stadiums um, does impact performance. So uh, if we were able to get... Uh, the protocols in place and, and borders did enable us to get the players in. We could deliver that event and our reception phones just rang off the hook when uh, it was talked about uh, from Sunday through to the conversations early in the week. Um, we understand the importance of keeping our borders secure and keeping Kiwis safe. Um, and we would never deliver or seek to deliver an event that would compromise the safety or security of uh, our community or our whānau. Uh, that being said, um, it's one of those events that um, two years we haven't seen league being played in this country. Um, our fans in the league uh, space have been crying out for content um, and uh, hopefully the Warriors can come back next year and, and play fixtures and I think a, a sell-out 50,000 crowd to welcome them back would be something if we can't get the NRL Grand Final, well, why not do a celebration and I'm sure the fans would turn out. Uh, Nick Saunton, uh, the long-term security of Eden Park. How, how long is Eden Park locked in? Because, uh, you know, there was that great debate about the Waterside Stadium and, and, and other particular venues and taking sports from here to there, et cetera, et cetera. What is uh, the long-term security of Eden Park in your mind? Well, in my mind, uh, if there was a, ever a downtown stadium, it would be 10-plus years uh, on the horizon, I'd suggest. We're seeing with stadiums globally... Um, roof stadiums in whether it be the US or the UK, you're talking um, two to five billion dollars to build. Um, we're a population in Auckland of 1.8 million people. Um, we need uh, to look at the population. We need to look at the content and the utilisation strategy. I'm a big believer that um, we need to rationalise and centralise content for Auckland. Um, we've got a hybrid facility uh, at Eden Park. Uh, I think uh, our short-form cricket fixtures, whether it be T20s or ODIs, we've seen some of um, the highest scores, we've seen some of the lowest scores in Test Match cricket being played at this facility. I know talking to the players, they love the fact that um, high scoring, um, as a bowler you don't want to be put on the roof and as a, a batsman you want to put it on the roof. Um, with the next three years, we have uh, three Women's World Cups. Uh, we've got the Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup and then up to eight FIFA Women's World Cup fixtures in 2023. That opening fixture they're projecting uh, 1.4 billion and 200 countries will view uh, Eden Park, New Zealand, and uh, and be 
pretty proud to be able to deliver those fixtures and see genuine gender equality in sport. So it's, it's a really exciting time. On the flip side, we've got a lot of uh, concert content booked in and, uh, and Tamatatini, the Kapahaka uh, Festival, early next year. Sounds fantastic in terms of uh, your spread of events. Uh, just finally, Nick, uh, plenty of tickets available. What's, what would be uh, what would be an uh, an acceptable crowd? Are we pushing it pushing it to expect a, a second sellout for Saturday? I think the challenge. I mean, I'd love uh, for all your listeners to get online and purchase today. Um, but uh, I, I'd be thinking that um, that'd be a great outcome. But um, we'll just see. We'll just see what uh, happens in the next sort of forty eight hours. Um, and uh, the teams will be announced. Uh, and we've also got to look at it and say, yes, it has been 35 years since uh, the Wallabies have won at Eden Park. But uh, on the weekend, if they had have had a, a captain's run at Eden Park and perhaps practised their kicking, it could have been even closer. <laughs> That's a very good point as well. Hey, Nick, uh, thanks very much uh, for your input this morning and, and information about the Garden of Eden. Uh, and uh, let's just hope uh, yeah, people get on board eh, and, and support it and front up and uh, see another bit of uh, all-black rugby history. Wouldn't that be good? Thank you, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Biddy. Appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your support of the park. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Nick Saunter there. He's the CEO of Eden Park. He's got the challenge of, of making it work as a, an event venue, uh, and it's tough. It is tough. There's lots of forms of entertainment around people. Uh, of course, uh, a lot of our sport is covered so well on uh, on various forms of television that you know sometimes the easy option is just to sit at home uh, and to watch it. But uh, you know you you got to get down there. Um, you've got to take this opportunity. And he made a very good point there. We just don't know uh, with the way the world is at the moment how many of these opportunities are going to exist in the near future. At the moment in New Zealand, we live in a really cool place. You know everything is pretty much normal for us. Uh, but is that going to continue? Just look across the Tasman, you know, a couple of hours away. What they're going through at the moment, it's just so unpredictable. So my suggestion would to be, go. Go support the All Blacks. You just do not know. Hey, and uh, if nothing else, uh, you're going to see a great game of footy. I reckon game two is going to be an absolute cracker. 8833 is our text number. Uh, our phone number is 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. You enjoy going to Eden Park. What's your problem there? Um, you know, is it too expensive? Uh, I know uh, we've already got texts in here about, can you ask them why the beer's so expensive, for instance? So there's feeling out there. Or would you go two weeks in a row? 88.33. Come on in. Give us some information. Give us some feedback. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.27 here on SENZ, and uh, the texts are coming in. Uh, they were starting to come in while uh, Nick was on the phone, so um, we just uh, had to let him go uh, just a bit prior, uh, prematurely to, to getting the answers to some of these. Yes, but when are they going to put a roof on Eden Park? Well, the gist I got from that was that, you know, they're only looking 10, uh, 10 years down the track, perhaps, and maybe they uh, wouldn't want to go through. Uh, I, I've got to say... Uh, a roof on Eden Park, sure, it would it would work, and it would make it a lot better and a lot more. But you know, I'm not sure that'll fill the stadium that many more times. I don't think the weather's been a hugely important factor in most of the events I've been to at Eden Park. I'm not sure it's a big deterrent, so I'm not sure that's high on their list. To be fair, um, Smithy, let's talk Brody and White Lock back together. Yeah, uh, I think um, 
lot of the conjecture there. I mean, Sam Whitelock's undoubted, absolutely undoubted. Um, but is Brody Retallick back to his best? Perhaps not. Perhaps getting there. But when he is, it's an undoubted combination. And the only way that he's going to get back there is to keep playing and, and uh, competing and uh, getting back to that physicality that, that we saw a couple of years ago, if, it, if it's still there for him. I think it is. Uh, the reason prices are so expensive is the percentage that has to go to the trust before you pay for it. I, I think there's a, a lot in that. Eden Park's always been run by the Eden Park Trust Board. Um, and they, um, uh, you know, they've always ruled it with a, an iron hand, really. They've, they've always been over the top of it. So I don't see that changing in the near future. Just listen to Smithy's rant on cricket in the Olympics and couldn't agree more. I've always wondered how every other sport is the best of the best, yet men's football gets away with a Clayton's age-based competition. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, for me, they just never find uh, all the players, uh, all the best players in the world wouldn't go to the Olympics. They just would not. Uh, They enjoy having their time off. The seasons are so long and I don't think it would be a priority for them. They're all very, very rich men that play at that level. I'm not sure a gold medal would matter too much, actually too much uh, to them in terms of their career. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I also believe uh, that cricket would have problems getting their very, very best players to the Olympics because they just wouldn't find a window. There's so much uh, T20 cricket on going around the world, international cricket. I don't find that, I think they'd find a window where they would be able to get uh, all the players there at the right time, all fully fit and keen to play and keen to ex- exhibit the game. Don't think so. Uh, hey, Smithy, funny how the Eden Park CEO didn't answer why food and drinks are too expensive as well. You know, the fact of the matter is they are. They are expensive, but, you know, that is just it. That's the way it is these days. And, you know, it's been a debate for a long time, and I'm sure they've looked at it time after time the actual cost to the individual, and they just, you know, it's, it hasn't changed, and it won't. I, I, my only thing is every now and then I, you know, slip upstairs to get a pound of the chips or something because I'm starving, and uh, they, they tend to pre-cook a lot of the food, and it sits under those warmers for a long time, and in the end they're not hot chips at all, or, you know, and that's a bit of a worry for me uh, at, the, at the price that they are. But, how, look, the logistical it must be a nightmare at times. must be an absolute nightmare. Uh, I, I, when you work... You walk behind uh, the scenes you see in the corridors of people. You go up in the goods lift. You see what's involved with uh, just that's just the set, the stand, the uh, southern stand uh, where the players run out of. That's just at that end, uh, and that's all around the ground. So logistically, man, what a big operation it really is. Well, one of the great things about uh, the Olympic Games is it throws up new names to us, uh, new sporting stars and uh, great performers in their own right. Uh, just getting to the Olympics is something so special. But uh, when you compete, when you make a final uh, and when you get the best out of yourself and you put your name in headlights, uh, it's great. And it's great also for us to find out a little bit more about some of our athletes. And this morning we're going to talk to Max Brown. Max is on the phone. Uh, he is part of the K2 1000 crew with uh, Curtis Imry. Uh, they finished sixth in the Olympics final. So, Max, uh, thanks very much for giving us uh, some time this morning. I guess you're in quarantine somewhere. How how long you got to go? Yeah, morning, mate. Um, I'm I'm on day five today, um, and actually doing pretty well. Um, I've I've been keeping myself busy, and I've got an amazing view of the Canterbury um, 
mountains and there's snow all up all over them and I'm pretty keen to get out there skiing. <laughs> yeah, well, that won't help you, will it? It's another, what, another nine nine days to go, Max. Um, where, so you make your home these days where? In, in the Waikato? Yeah, I've been living in Cambridge, training with a, an awesome crew there for about three, three and a bit years now. Um, and, but I hail from Wanganui. Mm. Well, I like Wanganui. Uh, I hail from Wanganui as well. I'm a Carlton School old boy, so there you go. Uh, Mas, oh, yeah. Where are you? At, where are you at with your masters of business management behind the scenes? Uh, so I'm I'm only two papers into it, but um, I, I originally did a, a music degree down in Wellington at the the New Zealand School of Music, doing a jazz um, performance degree. So basically, playing guitar. Um, I've been playing music my whole life, and then um, after that, I did a postgraduate diploma in business. And then um, after that, I thought oh, I'd better do something else. So then I just started my Masters of Business. So you're a music tutor as well, aren't you? You tutor young young people or just people in, in, in general in, in music as, as a part of what you do? Yeah, yeah. So I've, um, oh, I might have 20 students in Cambridge. That's about all I can sort of fit into a day of uh, training, three to four hours a day and then teaching as well. So... Um, yeah, I, I'm currently teaching at uh, Cambridge Middle School. It's an intermediate school there. And I've got some phenomenal kids who are, just love music as well. And um, I try to get them to choose the music so that they sort of take a bit more engagement and feel like they're, they're owning it themselves. So I get a range of songs, whether it's uh, um, Miley Cyrus or, or other kids might want a bit of Led Zeppelin. I kind of prefer those those music, music choices but I, I try to get them to choose what we uh what we learn but yeah no I love teaching it's a great way to sort of supplement um training because it, it's not uh overly stressful or labor intensive so it, um I can turn up to the afternoon session relatively um fresh so yeah that's an awesome job talking to uh, Max Brown here on SENZ fascinating too uh, uh, Combined with Curtis Imri and the K2 1006 in the world, uh, an unbelievable. Oh, it was um, it was fifth. Fifth. Yeah. Oh, I've been stitched. I've been stitched. Sorry. Okay. Uh, fifth. Oh, okay. No, I'll just fine. change that. Fifth in the world, which is unbelievably even better than sixth. Hey, hey Max. Uh, listen. Tell us about your training schedule because. Uh, you sort of assume it's, it's a very rigorous thing. Is it daily thing? Is it seven days a week? You know, when you're looking to get towards the Olympics, just how busy were you on the water and in the gym? Oh, yeah, it's, it's more or less for maybe the last sort of eight eight years. I've been training twice a day. Um, for a while when I was um, studying in Wellington, I was getting up at sort of quarter to five. So as soon as you see a four on your alarm, you know it's not going to be good. Um, but I was getting up at quarter five and on the water with Curtis at 5.30 a.m. and then off by 7.30 to get to all my lectures at eight. Um, but now we're sort of a little bit more sensible hours because we're training full time. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll paddle from seven till nine and then um, a gym from 11 till sort of one o'clock and then another paddle from three o'clock onwards. Um, those are probably our busiest days. Some of the, and we we're training either two or three times a day, um, six days a week, and and then Sunday's our rest day, so no exercise allowed, which is awesome. 
Okay, so fifth, absolutely fifth, uh, fantastic performance. What were your expectations, uh, you and Curtis, heading into the event? Um, to be honest, we kind of went in a little bit blind of what we could achieve, just in terms of we hadn't raced anyone overseas due to COVID um, setbacks. Uh, we hadn't raced anyone for about two years. Um, so, yeah, we when we last raced overseas, we got 15th in the world, which for us was like a, a good result, but um, we were certainly hungry for more. But that was our last result leading into the Olympics. So we set a goal of making the A final, which was top eight. And even that was uh, going to be a really, really hard stretch. Um, and then to come fifth in the final was just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, obviously, would have <laughs> loved, a, loved a medal, but uh, to sort of overperform where we were at anyway was great, um, especially with all the pressure and the Olympics. Like It, it can either bring out the best in people or, or other people sort of, I guess, crack under the pressure. And I really feel like Curtis and I just nailed it. Um, which is really cool because I was certainly feeling the pressure for the race, so it's good to still be able to do the job. Max, it wasn't a typical Olympics. I mean, I saw uh, the facility there. There were grandstands there. There was uh, obviously some great viewing areas and opportunities there, but there was no one there apart from uh, your teammates and uh, the opposition's teammates, etc. So that, that must have been, you know, I mean, a bit of a letdown in terms of, um, in terms of what you were expecting. Yeah, for sure. Like, it was funny, you see the, the empty grandstands and you can kind of just imagine, like, how crazy the atmosphere would have been um, with hundreds of thousands of people uh, watching the races and that would have been such an experience. But um, in some respects, part of it was better. Like, um, as much as I'd love to have my family and friends come over, um, it meant that I could kind of just focus on the race and I didn't have to worry about trying to say like go and spend time with them because I hate when people give all their time to me and then like I can't sort of honour that and return it and I guess at the games you kind of need to knuckle down and focus so you can't be out socialising. Um, so yeah, there, I guess there's good and bad aspects to it. Um, it was funny, when we were having our Olympic trials, I had about um, seven members within my family and friends who had bought their flight tickets and aeroplane tickets to the games and I hadn't even won the Olympic trials. So it was quite, those trials are actually really stressful because I was worried that if I didn't make the uh, the boat, then um, then my, all my family would be going to the Games without me. But <laughs> turns out I won the trial and it wasn't all so bad. But yeah. No, it was great. It was great for them, but unfortunate for them. Hey, uh, Max, just a really basic, stupid question, I guess you'd say. How do you determine who sits in front and who doesn't, who sits behind? How do you work that out? Um, no, nah, not a stupid question. It's uh, not as black and white as you'd think as well. But I guess uh, my job's to set a really good rhythm. Um, in kayaking, it's a super technical sport. I guess you have to... It looks like we're using our arms, but a lot of the power in, is coming from your legs and core. Um, and so I need a really long sort of stroke for Curtis to be able to stay in time with. Um, and then I, I'm... Curtis and I, he's very powerful, um, super strong guy. And then I guess for me, like I'm super, super aerobic, super fit um, and kind of just don't fade. And so if you put your, your really powerful dude in the front, you'd probably go out crazy fast and then you wouldn't be able to hold on in the end. So it's my job to sort of nail it the whole race. And then Curtis 
um, he's just sort of laying power the whole race, but certainly lighting it up in the last 200 and also getting us out of the gates. Max, uh, look, it was a great campaign. I mean, you, you performed above expectations yourself. Of course, um, uh, the women were outstanding. Lisa Carrington was outstanding. Caitlin Regal was outstanding. Um, so overall, a really successful campaign, which I guess uh, will transfer down the path to, to some funding overall for the sport. Uh, that gives you maybe a, a bit of a base to, to work from going forward. What are you looking at uh, long term? I mean, the Paris is what, three years away? Yeah, yeah. So um, Paris is three years away now, not four. So normally after all the Olympics, everyone gets a sort of a four-year build, um, which means they can take a bit of time off. But sadly, we've we've actually only got two years before we have to qualify the boat again. So it feels like can't really take much time off. Um, my plan is to sort of take a month off, uh, mentally reset, uh, go do a bit of skiing, catch up with family and friends and all those sort of things that I don't usually get time to do, um, and then sort of start my rebuild. But this, I feel like this Olympic cycle is going to be so much easier than the last because because now that we've performed well, there'll be funding for us, whereas basically before these games, we were, no one thought we'd qualify a boat. Um, in 2019, when we qualified the boat, it was the first time we actually raced overseas in the open men's division. So we were we were really just struggling and and even struggling to get selected for events, um, and and not obviously not being paid anything. So we were working sort of part time jobs trying to make ends meet and all that. But uh, yeah, for now now I'm looking at the next cycle pretty excited and going, well, this would be a breeze. So yeah, looking at promising. It is looking promising. Uh, just finally, mate, uh, you get to rub shoulders with Lisa Carrington and uh, you get to see firsthand uh, her level of success. But what, do you, what, what inspires you? What do you get from, from spending time around her as a, our greatest ever Olympian, they're saying? Yeah, no, nah, she is our greatest ever Olympian. And not just because of the medals around her neck, but because of how much of a good person she is. Um, I don't just get to spend time with her racing. We we did the whole training camp together and spent a lot of time in New Zealand training as well. And it's just such a privilege. Um, I've I've even done quite a few uh, sessions in the in the boat, um, paddling with her, and that that that's a great experience because um, she's she's just she just nails her training. She simplifies it, knows what she has to do, gets out there, gets the job done. It's not sort of some magic magic pill. Um, it's just getting all the small things right. Um, and then treating everyone in the team with respect like everyone wants to be in the boat with Lisa not because not only because she's super fast but because because she values everyone and she's just an all-round good human being and, and a good Kiwi uh, Max Brown thank you so much for your time this morning um, enjoy if you can that view at least you're better off than some out of your window over to the, the mountains outside of uh, Christchurch uh, look, hey, congratulations on a successful campaign as well um, and your thoughts too uh, around your sport uh, and, your, and your life, really. Really interesting to talk to you. Uh, go well. Stay safe. So that was uh, Max Brown, uh, Olympian, of course. Uh, he finished fifth along with Curtis Emery in the K2-1000. Uh, yeah, part of that successful uh, canoe sprint team. Brilliant. Uh, look, what annoyed me sitting at the top of the South Standard Eden Park at the Trans-Tasman final was they didn't open up of food and beer stores and the lines were ridiculous. 
and uh, missed way too much of the game, that's Phil. Uh, yeah, so 88.33, text more on Eden Park if you like. Um, and uh, 0800 150 811 is our phone number. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.51 here uh, on SENZ. Uh, another text has uh, come in. Sounds like bad business, Smithy. Eden Park doesn't make money. People don't go because it's too expensive at the park. Make it cheaper and people will come back with their families because they won't need a mortgage to go to an Auckland game. Sometimes it feels like uh, the people running the park don't care about their customers and want to bleed us dry for as long as they can. Uh, interesting thoughts there, uh, really. From uh, That's from Liam, actually. Thanks very much, Liam, for that. Uh, and I think that expresses uh, the opinion of, of quite a few people. Uh, it seems to me, uh, just John Day, that they might be struggling to sell these tickets. It was pretty hard to get an actual current figure, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, to be uh, to get out of, of Nick Sortner at, at the time of interview. He wasn't prepared to, to really say exactly how many tickets have gone but uh, there's nothing worse than a big stadium which is uh, looking like half full or three quarters full for such a big event so I guess they were governed by circumstances but it would have been interesting if they get 34,000 say they got 34,000 um, they probably would have got that in Wellington but that's Beavana, isn't it, that you're going to? Yeah, well, I went to Eden Park last week and now I'm going to Beavana this weekend um, because, yeah, 80 bucks for the cheapest ticket, so I was up there behind the posts. Um, pretty cold, pretty average game of rugby, uh, and you leave afterwards going, I don't want to come back next week uh, because I'm not guaranteed a great game, and it's quite expensive. And then the beers there as well uh, is an issue. Um, not great beers and expensive too. So I think... In COVID times, especially, Smithy, maybe before COVID when things weren't so tight and everything and maybe we had a better product then, a better All Blacks team too, um, I would be willing to pay 80 bucks for, for this All Blacks team in COVID times. Nah, two weeks in a row, I won't be paying that sort of money to go see them. Yeah, well, look, OK, let's, let's just do a, a little thing here. Uh, what about if you're in England? Uh, would you go to Twickenham? How much is it go to Twickenham? Uh, I mean, it'd be a damn sight more than the equivalent of 80 bucks to go to Twickenham for a big event. This is, a, this is the biggest sporting event in New Zealand, the Bledisloe Cup this year. Give me another one that's going to be big, bigger, just, tell, just off the top of your head. Can you think of anything bigger than a Bledisloe Cup game in New Zealand this calendar year? No. Can you? No, I can't. Um, but well, that's it's 80, 80, it's 80, 80 bucks, bucks minimum. Is it uh, eight? Yeah. And then so 180 bucks um, to go two weeks in a row to see um, some pretty average rugby. I'd rather go to a concert, Smithy, or Beavana for cheaper. Oh, well, you enjoy Beavana, John. We'll be back shortly with uh, a multi. Uh, and no, it's a tale of woe again yesterday, but that's Louis's fault. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Very quick multi this morning. Chief Sequoia let us down yesterday. We got the other two up, but uh, Louis tip no good for us there. So today I won't get uh, Louis' advice. I'll just go straight myself. Uh, only a two-prong multi today. Uh, the Atlanta Braves and uh, uh, the MLB. They will beat the Cincinnati Reds at $1.77. And in the Copa Libertadores, River Plate to beat Atletico MG at a buck ninety-one. So a bit of baseball, bit of football, 
and $3.38. Crossing our fingers for some success there. Uh, and just to confirm that, some guys texted and say, G'day, Smithy, anyone with half a brain isn't listening to Louis scuffed multis anyway. News time, 10 o'clock. It's Kiwi for Sport. SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. For Rebel Sport, celebrating 25 years of helping Kiwis find their win. It's New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. Number 24. Um, number 24. I'll read a report from Crick Info uh, on this game. There have been many one-day games won and lost in the final over and won and lost by four runs or less, but few had the importance, the occasion, the drama of today's final of the 2000 Crick Info Women's World Cup. Today's game, won by New Zealand by four runs, with five balls remaining, was filled to the brim with drama and tension. Uh, for me, the writer, it surpasses the, the encounter at Lords in 1975 between the West Indies and Australia as the greatest World Cup final, men's or women's, of all time. It was a game with almost everything, a match which, on form, Australia should have won comfortably and looked like they would when New Zealand crumbled to be all out for 184. With the first ball of the 50th over and Australia needed five runs to win with one wicket in hand, the seventh World Cup reached its climax as Charmaine Mason got a faint nick to a ball from Claire Nicholson, which was taken by Rebecca Rolls. New Zealand, the host team, the underdogs for the final, had come from behind to win the most important title in the nation's cricket history. Wicket-keeping that day, taking that final edge, enjoying uh, the occasion immensely. I remember the celebrations was Rebecca Rolls. We're joined by... Rebecca Rolls on the phone this morning. Good morning to you, Rebecca. Uh, still remembering it very clearly, are you? Morena, Ian, yeah, it's funny listening to that. Uh, brings it all back pretty quickly. Just to t- take us through what you were thinking, because, and I've, you know, I've played in New Zealand sides that never quite get up to beat Australia. What was your feeling uh, defending that total for a start? I've got to be honest and say we uh, we definitely had this nagging feeling that 184 wasn't going to be enough, and and it, it definitely shouldn't have been. And uh, you 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 read out before was right. Australia on form should definitely have uh, taken it out that day. And I suspect when they went out to chase the runs, that's exactly what they thought would happen. They had the firepower to do it. So so that that was sort of how you, how you or how we felt taking the field a little bit, but also in the back of your mind, you know that cricket is one of those games that nothing is ever guaranteed, and and when you're chasing and there's scoreboard pressure and runs on the board, that makes such a difference. And I think as we chipped away through the wickets, we started to believe a bit more and a bit more each time. And, and there were some funny dismissals along the way. And, and some people got established. Belinda Clark, who's probably one of the best players they've played against, once sort of she got to 30, I thought, again, oh, it's all over. So it was definitely a bit of a roller coaster for sure. Um, but, you know, I think our bowlers did an, an excellent job on the day. Um, they never really let Australia get away from us. And, uh, and I think Australia probably were a little bit complacent by that time. You talk about some unusual dismissals and things. There, there was one in the 49th uh, over uh, where Fitzpatrick was <laughs> on strike, was bowled, but it took it like took forever apparently for the bail to fall off. Talk us through that memory. Yeah, that was that was a really peculiar one because Catherine Rammel was bowling as a medium pacer who who I played all my cricket with, and I always kept up to her. She's an inswinger, so there's always a really good chance of a leg side stumping, but. Because we had not much to play with in terms of runs, 
I, uh, I spoke to her and said, look, I'm going to keep back because I don't want a, a you know, nasty leg by or, or a nervous wide to slip down and, and cost us four runs. So I stood back and it was quite weird being that far back at that place. But yeah, so Cam does swing it really well and she managed to swing it and just nick the leg stump bail. And because it was such a light touch, it did wobble and wobble and wobble and then it fell off. And in the meantime, I'd caught the ball and noticed that Fitzpatrick was out of her crease and sort of thought about lining up a, a shy at the stumps. Uh, and then kind of was halfway through my throw and saw the bow fall off. So ended up aborting the throw and uh, it ended up, I think, the ball out at square leg somewhere and, and us appealing. And, and Catherine Fitzpatrick was sort of incredulous and, and sort of, you know, looked around as if to say, what, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And, um, you know, she, she actually said to me, did you kick the bail off? Because I'd, I'd come up to the stumps by then <laughs> to, to kind of convince, I think it was Jeremy Busby at square leg to have a look at it. And um, no, sorry, Peter Parker. And um, yeah, and I said, how could I kick the bail off? I was standing back. I said, that, you're out. That's bold you. And uh, it was one of the first games that we had any sort of uh, referral or, or third umpire or anything like that. So thankfully, uh, we did have it and it went upstairs because I'm not sure it would have been the same result had it uh, had there just been the on-field umpire's decision. As you mentioned, Belinda Clark, who was a fantastic player, there's no doubt about that. She made 80, uh, 91 that day. Uh, and you get the feeling, don't you, when you've got a player of that kind of substance at the crease, until you get them, uh, you're, not, you're not actually really uh, a chance of winning a game because they've been there, done that so often. They know how to read and yep. control a situation. When you got that wicket, uh, what, was, uh, what was the feeling there? That was a massive momentum swing. That was when we actually start to think, OK, everyone else is in trouble now because the rest of the Australian team haven't even batted this tournament. And in fact, very much in their career because of people like Belinda Clark and, and Karen Rotten, who we'd managed to run out earlier in the game. So, And, and that was some genius captaincy, really, from Emily Drum and, and probably a couple of the other senior heads because Belinda tried to kind of get right sort of on the other side of the ball to work it finer and when move that sort of that fine leg around a bit and she was trying to beat them. So in stepping across, she, she missed the ball from uh, Claire Nicholson who, who gratefully accepted the wicket, but that was definitely a turning point. So, and that wasn't Belinda making mistakes. She doesn't make mistakes. Uh, obviously an execution mistake, but we forced her into that. And, and so that was really satisfying, I think, for the bowler and, and for M on the day. Let's, um, let's just go back to that, that last over, that last dismissal. Uh, look, you know, sometimes uh, when you're standing up to the stumps, everything's so busy around you anyway. Uh, what kind of focus, uh, knowing the equation, knowing the fact that if one goes down leg side and you can't get it or it goes off a leg by, all of a yep. sudden, you know, you're looking at extras and, and you're in the back of your mind. So what, uh, you know, because this was the, the dismissal that made you the world champions, what was going through your mind there? Yeah, lots and lots of things. I was feeling strangely relaxed because I think we'd been through so much by that point and I could feel the nervousness of Charmaine Mason. It was palpable, you know, like she's not a batsman. She'd come out to try and get these runs and was such a passionate cricketer, so I knew she was dialed into her job, but you could tell she was she was bricking it a bit. So I felt a little bit relaxed, got a little bit of confidence from that and then it was sort of something, I guess, washed over me as if it was like, well, whatever's going to happen, I think it's already been decided and we just have to have to let this roll. And, and as well as a little bit of nervousness, because uh, as you'll know, Smithy, you can't kind of keep back to a spinner. It's not like I could make an excuse no. to keep back and, and catch a nick if it came through. Uh, so, so yeah, it was, it was that. Um, and then just kind of looking around and going, well, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Um, expecting Claire to bowl a much better delivery than she did. But uh, probably her height helped us a little bit with the bounce on that day and, and Charmaine wasn't quite up to it and, and got a decent edge. So, 
Yeah, it, it was one of those surreal, it was kind of like I was sitting on the boundary somewhere with a, a Diet Coke watching uh, it all unfold, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, without being actually on the boundary having a Diet Coke, without being, uh, no, actually no. being out there. In the middle, uh, celebrations, look, you know, first time ever, it's been the only time ever. Uh, tell us uh, uh, yeah. about those those celebrations and, and you know, uh, the fellowship that was born out of it, really. Yeah, absolutely, a fellowship. Like The, the entire team still connects to this day. We're, we're on a, um, a Facebook group um, and, and often see each other in and around cricket and, and on the boundaries. But, yeah, it was definitely one of those experiences that just took us along on a wave that, that kind of built momentum throughout not just the innings but the tournament you know we had lost to Australia early on uh, so and and snuck a Rose Bowl off them a couple of months earlier sort of uh, in, in the previous um, I think it was the end of 99 so yeah it started to move but I'm not sure we really really thought we could uh, and but then sort of on the day as things started going our way I, I know personally and we've talked about it since we're kind of like well why not you know we've done the work we're good players we're a good group um, we know this team we know that our position so why not? And, and as we, I think probably another turning point would have been running out Karen Rolton early on. I mean, Helen Watson had two T runouts that day and, and that really put Belinda Clark under some pressure. And so as you start to mount up those things, I think you, you do start to believe, which makes the celebration even better. You can sit back and go through almost like a laundry list of how did that happen and what about that and who would have thought that? And that makes it so much more satisfying uh, than, than, you know, something that, that might have played out and been a foregone conclusion from the 35th over. You know, it was, um, it was definitely something that, that we uh, were able to savour much more um, keenly than, than we may have otherwise done because it was just never, never really locked in. And I think even in the changing room afterwards, I know Australia had some uh, bubbles on ice that they were pretty keen to get into, but obviously we, we ruined that party for them. Um, you know, we almost... You sat down and didn't really know what to do. It was sort of, uh, you start going through the game and then, then obviously the, the elation starts to take over and sharing with family and friends who were there. So, yeah, it sort of all came together quite naturally and, and since then has been something, you know, we, we've called on quite a bit when we've been together as a group. But also, I think, just um, personally, you know, you sort of look back to days like that and you think, um, hey, anything can happen. Talking to uh, Rebecca Rolls, uh, who was... Integral in our first ever World Cup and our only ever World Cup win, win cricket, to be fair, men's or women's, of course, uh, when it comes to uh, the limited overs form of the game. Of course, Rebecca these days is also a, a sports uh, commentator, uh, commentating cricket, uh, amongst other things that she's got going on in her life. But that gives you uh, and me an opportunity to briefly discuss the, the white ferns of today, Rebecca. Uh, look, their, their track record, and if you look at the win-loss column, it's not been good in the last few years. Where are we at? And, you know, hosting World Cups not too far away again. Uh, what do you think of our chances? What have we got to do? What have we got to find? Yeah, it's a World Cup, isn't it? So our chances start at zero like everybody else on day one of the tournament. And um, confidence is probably the main thing, the main ingredient. And you can find that along the way. And, and you'll know from being involved in tournaments yourself that, you know, a couple of early wins and, and some good performances, you can really start to build that momentum and, and create a force that, that can't be undone as you get further through the tournament. I mean, it's going to be great having, you know, all going well with <laughs> injuries, etc. allowing, having, you know, uh, all our players, back, Amy Satisway, Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, haven't played together in 30 months. And there's a tour to England coming up where they'll be able to kind of re-establish their, you know, their mojos respectively. And, um, you know, I think the, the player, if you look down the 1-11, to 11, it's an excellent team and as capable as any other of pulling it off. 
it's a matter of those little two percenters along the way that sometimes I've got to be honest that it's you know people say you make your own luck I think luck's a combination of good preparation and good timing and if you, if you line enough things up like any other team uh, I think New Zealand's got as much chance. Okay honest thoughts there on uh, today's White Ferns but the really the reliving, reliving of that magic moment and that magic time when New Zealand were the World Cup champions. Uh, Rebecca Rolls. Hey, thanks so much for your time, Rebecca. Great uh, to catch Thank up you. with you and, and great, great to, to hear about your thoughts and your recollections of such a special time in New Zealand cricket. <laughs> Rebecca Rolls there, uh, really good. Uh, look, thanks for all your nominations uh, for New Zealand's top 25 sporting moments from the last 25 years. We've compiled... The list based on your feedback, and that was number 24, New Zealand winning the Women's Cricket World Cup in the year 2000. Another two top 25 sporting moments from the the last 25 years uh, with Mark Stafford coming up uh, after midday today. And it's all thanks to Rebel Sport, who are also celebrating 25 years in the business. Thanks, Rebel Sport. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty here on SENZ. Uh, panel time, which is great. Love, love this segment. Ollie Ritchie, uh, fresh back from uh, the Olympics. News Hub's Ollie Ritchie. He's in quarantine at the moment. Mark Hinton also joins us. Stuff, uh, rugby and basketball writer in particular. Uh, re- really interesting time for both those codes, to be fair. Mark Hinton, I might start with you, actually. Uh, the Summer League. Tell us a wee bit about the Summer League. What, is it, what does it mean and who plays in the Summer League of the NBA? Oh, the NBA Summer League, uh, very much a showcase of the young talent uh, that's on the fringe and just coming into the uh, NBA. So each of the NBA um, teams have have a team in summer league, but they don't play their, their top players at all. It's very much the, the rookies, the second or third, sometimes third year players on their rosters, and also the new signings and the people that are on the fringe of their rosters. So it's, it's very much a showcase of young talent. Um, it's, it's where you get okay. to see the um, players that have been drafted, basically, uh, but by the clubs. You get to see them for the first time, just what you know, just what they look like in, in the professional environment. So it's a, um, uh, you know, and there's been quite a few New Zealanders have played in it in recent years. Um, Corey Webster, uh, Finn Delaney, those type of people, Tom Abercrombie, they've all had a little little bit of a look at it. Uh, but very few um, on summer league rosters go on to make the main rosters. Like each team might, will have a roster of about 15 or 16 players. Maybe only two or three of those will actually make it. Uh, onto their main roster come the main NBA season. So it's, it's pretty much a, a showcase of, uh, of emerging and young talent. Ollie Ritchie, uh, in quarantine, well, in Christchurch, you in Christchurch, like most people seem to be coming back from Tokyo, Ollie? Yeah, morning, Smithy. I am in Christchurch. I'm in the, the Chateau on the Park. So the same place that a lot of those sports teams came in came and quarantined last year, the, the Wallabies came here and yeah, so far so far, so good, we're on to day three at the moment I think it is, so yeah, I'm good I'm putting my feet up, I'm just relaxing Good on you mate, okay your endearing mem- memory of the Olympics, is it an event or is it the overall scenario of, of how it worked from your point of view and that it actually went the, the whole hog, went the distance 
Yeah, I think it would be a combination of both, Smithy. I think the fact that it, it went ahead in such trying times and amidst a global pandemic and, and the way that it was run and, and for the most part run very successfully. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got the way the Kiwis performed over there. Um, you know, Lisa Carrington becoming our most decorated Olympian uh, of all time was just something so special. The rowers just... You know, the, the men's eight going from the last chance regatta in Lucerne to an Olympic gold medal. Uh, and, you know, the Black Fern Sevens was also one that stuck out for me. The way they bounced back from the disappointment and, and I suppose the heartbreak of Rio and, and managed to win gold uh, in Tokyo was really special. So definitely a combination of our, of our Kiwi performances and, and the way it, it was able to run amidst yeah, a global pandemic and so much uncertainty and, you know, growing cases in, in Tokyo and, and in Japan. Um, yeah, that, that would probably be my lasting memories uh, of the games. Look, you, you're obviously there in a media capacity. Uh, prior to uh, the event, Ollie, taking place, there was all sorts of stories about COVID and demonstrations in the street. Then all, all of a sudden, strangely, uh, you know, when the event started to take place and, and the athletes were performing, that sort of disappeared off the face of the earth almost from our point of view over here. And, and now all of a sudden, of course, it's, it's back in the head, headlines. Uh, how did you think they managed that situation from a media point of view? Yeah, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? I remember being at the opening ceremony, and, and at the start of the opening ceremony, it was the, the performances were kind of being drowned out by protesters that were outside the stadium. Um, obviously, not keen for that for that to go ahead, and that was a really quite a quite a weird place to be in because on the you know you're watching this amazing ceremony unfold and the celebration of the start of the games, but but all you can hear. Um, there's a whole lot of protesters outside protesting the fact that these games are going ahead. In the in the end, I think once the games started, as you mentioned, Smitty, it, it sort of um, it sort of stopped the, the whole uh, outrage around the games going ahead because I think people saw the performances and and everything that's so great about the Olympics and and kind of remembered that that's that's why these games happen and that's why these games are going ahead. Um, so I think that the way that the performances kind of, I suppose, gripped a, gripped a nation and, and gripped the viewers around the world watching it. Um, meant that you could put to one side the fact that there were protests and, and kind of um, a bit of uproar about the fact that these games were, were going ahead. Mark Hinton, uh, this weekend, of course, is Bledisloe Cup number two. We had uh, Nick Sauntner on, the CEO of Eden Park, and we tried to get a number of uh, an actual number of ticket sales so far and uh, what was still available. Couldn't get a number. Um, I, that sort of suggested to us that perhaps the sales are not that good. Um, what are you hearing and, and what do you believe the final outcome will be in terms of, of a crowd? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Um, because this was the add-on. This was the one that I guess Aucklanders hadn't planned, planned on having... Um, so uh, yeah, um, the fact the fact that they're giving tickets away, uh, you know, and, and packages to people coming from Wellington. Sorry, my dog's barking. Um, the fact they're giving tickets away uh, like that uh, tends to indicate they've got plenty on hand. Look, I, I I'm not expecting a full house. It's a second test in a row in Auckland. There will be some fatigue. Um, so, and, and we just look at we just look at what um, 
what unfolded through July. You know, I mean, they weren't compelling tests, but they, they didn't go near to getting full houses for the All Blacks, you know, against those teams they played. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting a, a full house. And I think there is some fans fatigue around the All Black Smithy. I don't think they do a very good job. And Ollie will back me up here. I don't think they do a great job of, of um, promoting themselves, shall we say, during the week, of promoting the game, of promoting the test. They don't make players readily available to, to the media for for, you know, the type of uh, stories that people will engage with. They put them up at very bland press conferences only. Uh, it's very restricted access. We don't get to tell the stories in the media we'd like to, and uh, that, that's by their choice. And I just think that people aren't as engaged with the All Blacks as they used to be. There's a lot of other things going on in the sporting world now. There's a lot of reasons for this, Smithy, but the upshot will be we may see empty stands in the on Saturday night, empty seats in the stands on Saturday night for an All Blacks Wallabies Bledisloe Cup decider. That would really be something, wouldn't it? They couldn't sell out of, out of stadium for a for a Bledisloe decider. It's a different era for sport. Yeah, it is. It, it honestly is, Mark. Look, hey, they they name a side again, not that far away. To be fair. Uh, any changes from from your point of view? Do you think Ian Foster's going to push? I mean, he won. He's not going to push a panic button, but what kind of button do you think he'll push? Uh, I, I don't think there'll be many changes, but I don't think it'll be a totally unchanged team. He's got this sort of uh, depth he talks about in, in, um, through the you know through his squad, unprecedented, he calls it, um, in terms of you know options, I guess. So you know, I think he might just make one or two little tweaks whether it's a Bowden Barrett for a Richie Mwanga or a Geordie Barrett for a Damien McKenzie or, or one of the loose forwards, maybe a Luke Jacobson. I just I suspect there'll be one or two changes, but he'll pretty much keep that group intact for two reasons. They won the first letters, though, so they did, you know, the old adage, you don't change a winning team, or you certainly don't change it very much, uh, applies here. And I just think what they did in that test that was kind of two-paced, I think I think there's still a work in progress, and he'll want to give those guys a chance to go out and and kind of um, you know take another step down, I guess the the you know the pathway. So I don't see many changes, maybe one or two little tweaks, uh, but pretty much you'll see that same group or close to it run out and uh, get a chance to put two hands on that big shiny trophy. Yeah, that'll be great. Hey, Mark, and please stay with us, Ollie. Please stay with us. Not like you've got much else to do at the moment, Ollie. You might as well <laughs> hang in there with us uh, in quarantine. Uh, it's news time here uh, on SENZ with Trudy. It's uh, 10.30. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Mark Hinton uh, with us this morning from Stuff. Their basketball, uh, rugby is uh, his real areas of expertise, but uh, of course his uh, general knowledge is undoubted. Ollie Ritchie from News Hub, who's just fresh back from uh, the Tokyo Olympics and quarantine down there uh, in the Chateau in Christchurch. Sounds good, but um, I think you'd rather be home and rather be at Eden Park on Saturday night, Ollie, just to, to have a few jars and, and, and watch an all-black test, I would imagine. But a huge texted in and said, not one Aussie visitor at Eden Park, though. We've got to bear that in mind. So that makes it just a little bit harder, Ollie, doesn't it, to, to sell the gig out? Yeah, it does make it harder not having travellers into it, but I think Mark was right what he was talking about before. There's just a bit of rugby fatigue going on at the moment and unfortunately over the last couple of weeks, uh, last few weeks, the All Blacks have taken 
very much a back seat to the Olympics. Um, and, you know, that's been what what people have been interested in lately. I, I just don't think there's that same level of interest in the All Blacks, and they certainly don't help themselves during the week by, by some of the access, and that's their own doing. Um, but, yeah, it says it all when you can't sell out a, a Bledisloe Cup decider at Eden Park against the Wallabies, and, yes, Yes, the international visitors is, is one thing, but you would expect the Kiwi public um, to get behind a test of that sort of magnitude. Um, so I just think, you know, I back up what Mark was saying. That very much just points to a bit of rugby fatigue at the moment. And remember, it's been a long season so far. We've had, you know, Super Rugby Aotearoa, then we've gone straight into Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, you know, three tests um, in, in July, which didn't even go close to selling out because we're so was so one-sided and, frankly, so uninteresting. Uh, and now, yeah, you've got a Bledisloe Cup test off the back of the Tokyo Olympics where, you know, the, the Olympics provided something different and something, um, you know, that you only get once every four years uh, and so much Kiwi success in so many different sports. And I think that really gripped New Zealand. Um, and, yeah, now that they're looking at an All Blacks test and sort of thinking, well, why would we spend that much money to go and watch them? Uh, one of the very saddest things that uh, has happened in sport in a long time in New Zealand, um, but it's just not in sport. It, it is commonplace in our society is uh, young people taking their own lives. And, and uh, Ollie, uh, I would imagine uh, you've been quite affected by this, having covered the Olympics and you know mixing with the Olympic cyclists and around the, the athletes from uh, for the last three weeks or so. They will be hit very hard by this. Uh, how do how do you view this modern day pressure? that is on young athletes and, and how we go about coping with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a brutal one, isn't it, Smithy? Um, the, the track cycling team was on my flight back from, from Tokyo uh, and they were just distraught. They found out when they got to the airport to check in um, and then, you know, they had a 12-hour flight and now two weeks in MIQ to think about it and you can bet that that's all they'll be thinking about. Um, there is a problem here with, with high-performance athletes and the pressure that, that comes with that. It's, it, is, it is crystal clear, um, you know, that what happened to Liv is, is an absolute tragedy. Uh, and it's an absolute tragedy, nothing short of, of that. Um, a young girl with such a bright future. Um, the, the, the demands of high-performance sport, we need, to, we need to do better at helping our young athletes with the demands that come with that because a lot of our athletes come into these sorts of programs, these if we take cycling, for example, a lot of them come straight out of school or very close to straight out of school. You know, they're, they're barely adults and they're expected to be um, thrust straight into this high-performance, high-demand um, program. That what And what comes with that, they are, they are not equipped to handle um, at such a young age. So, you know, they need external help. From, from within those organisations. And by, by that, I suppose I mean um, sports psychologists that help these, these athletes, uh, are sports psychologists that are aligned with that set program. So, you know, it's in their interest to, interest to, yes, help the athlete, but they also will be talking to the coaching staff and making sure that they're aligned on that, uh, on that basis. Let's get rid of that. Let's bring in external people who's one sole focus is the athlete and to help the athlete because they need it. It's, it is crystal clear that the, the demands are getting to these guys um, and so we need to get on top of it before 
we end up with a situation like like we have with Liv, with Liv Podmore. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, no doubt about it. It's an issue. It's a seriously big issue. Um, there might be an issue too, Mark Hinton, uh, at the Hurricanes for them to deal with uh, on the basis of one of their directors, one of their part owners, uh, Troy Balker, coming out um, with uh, what has been alleged as racist-type comments. And now you see TJ Perinara and perhaps the players getting involved. What kind of uh, outcome do you see here? And this is pretty ugly, but very topical these days, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Very interesting. Um, I can only see one outcome, Smithy, and that's uh, uh, this fella, um, quite outspoken um, in his views, uh, and pr- you'd have to say, you know, he wouldn't have supported too many New Zealanders, you wouldn't think, Smithy. Um, I can only see the, the only outcome is that this guy gets divested of his interest in the Hurricanes. Look, it's, it's difficult. He's, he's a stakeholder. He's brought in... Um, he's brought into the organisation. So, you know, he's not an appointee. He's not someone that's been put there by anybody. He's he's taken his own money and, uh, you know, put it on the table, as it were. So there's a process that will have to be followed, but it's untenable. His his place on the board and uh, as part of the ownership of the Hurricanes uh, is untenable. It basically is with his, the views he holds and uh, they just don't align with... Um, New Zealanders in general, and particularly the rugby uh, public, um, and, and, and the, the people he employs um, um, as part of the Hurricanes. Um, so I can only see one outcome, and it's going to take some time. Um, but we saw it, we, you know, they can do it. We saw when New Zealand rugby um, stepped in and, and uh, changed the ownership structure at the Blues. You know, they got rid of a, an owner that wasn't really fitting, for different reasons, but wasn't fitting the profile. They were able to do that. I, I think New Zealand rugby um, has to step in and um, and remove this guy from the equation because people like TJ Perinara and he is he's he's the loudest voice at the moment, but he is by no means the lone voice in the smithy. As you know, these guys will rally behind TJ, and and you know they'll make it very well known that that there has to be a change. So I, I just think it has to happen, and it will just take some time. Uh, and guys. With his type of views, um, uh, could stay out of rugby as far as I'm concerned. There is a bit of precedent for this, fellas, isn't there? Um, Ollie, uh, I'll come to you on this as well. But uh, Donald Sterling and the LA Clippers, uh, very high profile, similar scenario to this. And uh, the NBA have basically said to, to uh, Sterling, get out, take your billions and, and get the hell out of here. We don't want you. Uh, do you see that kind of scenario as well, Ollie, here? I think it has to be. I think, you know, alluding to what what Mark was saying there, it has become untenable. You, you know, those views are not aligned with uh, the Hurricanes uh, or New Zealand rugby and, and the, the New Zealand public in general. Um, they've just so far gone um, from anything that is good about, you know, the game and, and the way it's run in New Zealand. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think New Zealand rugby should and probably will step in here. Um, you know, take your take your millions or however many, however much you put into the hurricanes and go. Um, and the sad thing here is that the, the hurricanes are being brought into this, and the hurricanes are run by a terrific man and, and Avon Lee as their CEO, and they have you know a good man Ian Potter as their chairman. And you know, for the most part, they have very good people on their board. Um, you know, the, uh, he was not elected to that board. He you know he bought shares. He's a part owner in the in the franchise, which is how he got there. Um, so I think 
yeah, it's untenable. He has to go. And I, I would be surprised if New Zealand rugby doesn't step in to ensure that um, they've shown the way out. Yeah, I think you're right. Watch this space, and I don't think you'll have to watch it for very long. Mark Hinton, Ollie Ritchie, they were the panel today. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for giving us your time and your insights onto the issues, uh, into the issues of, of today. Uh, and they are pretty, pretty profound ones at that. And your texts have been rolling in as well, people. That's great. Thank you. Keep them coming in. 8833. Uh, yeah, I'll read them out after the break. And then before the news, we'll have Louis Herman Watt, of course, back with us. And we'll visit the TAB for an update from uh, what's going on there as well. SENZ. 1047 uh, SENZ. Uh, Eden Park. Hi, Smithy. Premium pricing for tickets plus food and beverage for poor food options. Long queues. Likely not even the top team playing due to the player rotation policy. How can you even justify charging $5.50 for a 340ml bottle of water? I mean, water's a big issue for me on this. I mean, you can get bring water in from home, but you're not allowed to. Uh, um, water's water, goodness me. North Stand is too far from the field. Cheers, Paul. Interesting thoughts there. Anthony says, uh, John is right. Too expensive now. Two weeks in a row with three boys. What about South Africa? Uh, another uh, caller comes in. That was uh, yeah, Anthony. Another one comes in and says, what about if they were to play England at Eden Park? It's the same teams at the same stadium with the same result every year. Ryan with his, his thoughts there. Uh, so, you know, they, they just keep coming on in. Uh, Roger, uh, on a different matter, says... Uh, uh, he's from Whangarei. I know you're a baseball fan. This is an interesting one. I'm a big Yankees fan. Not sure if you are aware, but the uh, MLB have got the Yankees versus the White Sox game being played in Iowa at the movie site of the Field of Dreams. Remember that great movie, Kevin Costner movie, the Field of Dreams movie, in the middle of a cornfield, can you believe it? Built 8,000 temporary seats. It's on TV tomorrow. Could be worth a watch. I'll be looking at it. Thanks very much for the heads up on that, Roger. Uh, because that will be absolutely fascinating to, to actually uh, to look at that and see how that one unfolds. Uh, uh, there's some congratulations uh, from Jim Tamuka to the boys, fifth in the Olympic Games. We talked to Max Brown, of course, uh, Curtis Emery, uh, because of the hard work put in them by them both. Keep at it, boys. You deserve all the funding, and that, of course, is, is an issue uh, that's going around at the moment. How much are they going to get on the back of that wonderful performance uh, by uh, the the canoe team, uh, headed by Lisa Carrington in particular. Uh, so, yeah, interesting thoughts and texts there, folks, um, and we'll continue to read them out throughout the morning. The theme coming through, though, quite clearly, is that uh, Eden Park is, is too expensive for some, and, and they just don't want to go two weeks in a row to watch Australia play again. Um, it just seems to be Australia, Australia, Australia all the time, but in all honesty, there aren't too many options uh, with the way the world is shaped up at the moment, and uh, you know, the All Blacks are going to have to make sacrifices as well by travelling overseas to play more games than they thought that they were going to have playing at home at our venues. Way of the World, 10.49 here on SENZ. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> it's coming up to 11 o'clock here on Mornings with Ian Smith uh, at 10.55 and uh, we're joined now by Louis Herman Watt and of course that is courtesy of loveracing.nz 
Uh, Louis, one of the worst sayings a commentator can ever have in racing, and I hate it, is forget it went round. In other words, a damn horse has been ridden up the chuck of some other horse, and you're damned unlucky it didn't get a run. God, I hate that saying, and I heard it too many times yesterday to make me happy. Oh, Smithy, it was a it was a bleak, bleak day on the punt, wasn't it? Unless you were one of those punters that cleaned up and did their form, which I'm sure there were plenty, but for me it was no good. I feel like I let you down. Apologies for that, and the, and the listeners, Desert Magic, I've already made the joke, but I'll do it again. It was Desert, tra- desert Tragic for me. It was just a terrible tip, and it didn't, it didn't cop the track, although the money came, which gave me a bit of positivity. This was race seven, but you never want to see 21.4 lengths next to your horse when you're, doing, when you're looking back at the day after, do you? It was tough going. It was it was hard work. Did you did you enjoy the Grand National Hurdle though? The Cossack was just class, wasn't it? Well, the Cossack is a real Hawks Bay story. Um, you know, I know Paul Nelson, uh, uh, one of the part trainers there. Know the owners very well, uh, Peter Grieve, and uh, and of course the the Frizzies, the Frizzells, are, are part of the ownership group. Used to be, uh, of course, a flat horse. Remember, yeah. it was trained by John Barry, uh, and then of course uh, it was owned by Ivan Grieve. So they bought it off Ivan. Peter Grieve and Co. bought it off Ivan Grieve, turned it into a jumping horse, uh, and the, the rest, as they say, it's, it's so been so well performed, Louis. It'll be the perhaps the hurdler of, of uh, you know, wow. the best hoodler in New Zealand, without doubt. Any, uh, you can't argue against that. But there is another little nagging thing there in that race, a horse by the name of Chief Sequoia that uh, you tipped us into, mm. uh, which really uh, was in the race for quite some time and just found nothing when it mattered. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. There's not really too much you can say, else you can say about that. Um, <laughs> just didn't find, which is surprising after watching. I mean, it would be interested to – I didn't hear any jockeys' comments or I haven't read them about the difference in the track from Saturday to Wednesday. But, yeah, it was flat, Smithy. Um, great, great gator at the Cossack. Yeah, great flats, a good flats horse. And for whatever reason, it's just taken to the hurdles. So the Wellington, the Waikato, the Great Northern, now the Grand National – that is some rap sheet. Now, if we look towards Saturday, Smithy, we can talk about a bit about more about this tomorrow. But remember, we were talking about Tallyho Twinkle Toes earlier in uh, the week, and, and Tallyho mm-hmm. Twinkle Toe just went around and kicked them in by about fifty lengths. Well, it was about twelve in the weekend, and we said, "Gee, how short's this thing going to start this weekend in the Grand National Steeplechase?" Well, I can tell you, they opened it at a dollar fifty, and greedy punters have not waited because they've skimmed 10, ten cents off it already into a dollar forty. This is going around a Grand National Steeplechase. You're going to have a favourite starting at a dollar forty with Sean Phelan doing the riding for Dummy Myers. Isn't that quite incredible? Well, it is. I mean, that is very, very short. And you know what? The business of jumps racing adds another dimension to a risk factor. I know mm-hmm. it's very accomplished. Uh, but, Louis, uh, that is a heck of a risk. Uh, speaking of the TAB. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Those of us that can remember that uh, will just never, ever, ever let it go because it was such a, a magic afternoon 
uh, in Christchurch at those Commonwealth Games back in 1974. Uh, Dick Taylor winning the gold medal. Uh, it was, I mean, I can still see the race. Bedford and Black from, uh, from Britain. And holding on, it was just superb the way he held on and, and those arms raised down the straight then collapsing on the track. God, I can remember it so clearly. It was like yesterday. Uh, Dick Taylor, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this morning here on SENZ. Uh, first of all, uh, my friend, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. You join us on exactly the right day. Yes, uh, thanks, Marie. Uh, nice to hear from you. I didn't think you'd remember back in 74. You probably weren't born or you'd be in a pram. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you, and uh, uh, at least I'm still here, which is a plus. But yes, it seemed a long time ago listening to that on the wireless. Um, you can hardly hear it, but I mean, um, and Keith Quinn was busy calling me a dick on, on coloured TV. Um, yeah, was, you know, the years are ticking by, and it's uh, had some issues, but I'm still here, so, um, which is good. Uh, look, Dick, um, you know, actually I was at Rongatai College. I raced home from school to watch it, to be fair. Uh, look, uh, you've, you've had such a, a wonderful time uh, in, in athletics, but, you, you know, you've transferred uh, that to being a very, very accomplished and popular after-dinner speaker where you've been able to share uh, those memories first uh, firsthand with uh, all those people around New Zealand. Uh, tell us what, what you're up to these days, um, you know, where are you based and, and, and how's life? Um, I'm based down in Waikoradia. I shifted from Christchurch mainly after the earthquake and always wanted to build a house and I couldn't afford to do it in Christchurch. So I come to a little place called Waikoradia, which is um, about half an hour north of Dunedin, right on the coast. So I uh, had a cardiac arrest uh, four years ago, or three and a half years ago. So Waikoradia's been a godsend because there's a beach, a beautiful beach here, and I do a lot of walking on the beach, recuperating. So uh, it's a nice little town. Um, yeah, so this is quite good, but I do miss Christchurch, and I miss sort of the more busier type of life. But at least you know we've got people to keep keep contact with, and and you know still got some fond memories. Dick, you also uh, you're probably not up up and close and personal as you have been with uh, Canterbury rugby sides either, because heavily involved in the supporters club for that. Uh, so you, you still t- stay in touch. You can take the boy out of Christchurch, I suppose, away from Christchurch rugby or Canterbury rugby, but. Uh, you won't take it out of him, will you? Oh, definitely not. I won't, though. And I think probably my, you know, I've had a wonderful journey with truck and field and that, but my best probably journey was, was when Billy Bush asked me to step in to be president of the Canterbury Sporting Club. So I've always loved rugby. I wanted to be a, a good rugby player, but and, and the only decent tackle I could do was tackling and feeding the pie cart. So I had to, I had to go to athletics. Um, but, I mean, I always loved rugby. So becoming president of the Canterbury Rugby Sporting Club, not only... I meet some of the top Canterbury and Crusaders people, um, administrators and people from yesteryear, but I met other rugby administrators and rugby players and former rugby players from all around New Zealand and, and for that matter, around the world at times through through that position. So that was something that, that was a wonderful part of my uh, sporting journey. Well, you're backing winners there when you back the Crusaders. I mean, their, their run of, has been unbelievably successful. Uh, Canterbury, of course, uh, which is... Uh, also been very, very strong in the pedigree of New Zealand rugby, uh, provided such so, so many great players. Um, so I, I think that's one of the legacies. I think Canterbury Rugby will always leave us with uh, their production line. Dick. Now that is a bad line. 
it, it, oh, sorry, dear, yeah. it's, it's been cutting out a wee bit. Uh, yeah, I was just saying the production line, the number of players, the great players that uh, Canterbury has provided through to go to, to the All Blacks as well. I mean, it just seems to be the rugby system in the country, doesn't it? And I think a lot of it's the old time uh, from the Alec Wiley days. As you know, you've been a sportsman, you know what discipline's like. And we all sort of break the, break the rules at times. But when you've got someone who's really strong looking after you, and I was lucky having someone like Arthur Lillian who looked after me as an athlete and, and uh, you know, you respected him, you had a lot of fun with him. But my God, if you stepped out of line, uh, you're in deep, deep trouble. So you played, you played long things and did as you told him. The greatest thing Lydia told me to do is drink beer. And thank God he never told me to stop. <laughs> Which brings me to um, a story I heard. Apparently, you know, when you were looking at tactics for, for that particular race back in 1974, uh, you didn't sit around a table at home or anything like that. What, what actually, what was, um, what came of that, that chat? And, uh, of course, was, was the win in the race. But where, where did you formulate that plan? Yeah, we went to the Bush Inn uh, Hotel, which you've been in there. Um, went to the Bush Inn and my Commonwealth Games car, they, they threw it us in. Lydia and I went to the Bush Inn Hotel and we struggled through three jugs of beer and discussed what would happen next day. And Lydia gave me an A4 piece of paper and he had written down the lap times of 1 to 25 and what sort of time I should run. And I was a wee bit flabbergasted because the time he wrote down was uh, a lot quicker than I'd ever run before. Because it was Lydia, I didn't argue with him. I just listened to what he told me to do um, as we struggled through those three jugs of beer. Um, so, you know, <laughs> and I always remember after we finished our discussions and that sort of thing, and he said, Richard, I was still Richard then, uh, you're not the best athlete in the field tomorrow, but you're the best prepared. I've never forgotten that statement. Um, not the best athlete in the world, but you're the best prepared. So that gave me a little wee bit of confidence for next day, you know. Dick Taylor's with us, uh, folks. It's 11.10 here on SENZ. We're reliving um, that magic moment right at this moment uh, when he did. He was uh, New Zealand Sportsman of the Year 1974 as a result of it because it lit up. It set the tone for a very successful uh, New Zealand team performance at those Commonwealth Games. Uh, take us through the well, the last uh, maybe lap or two of that race, if you could, Dick, because uh, you know those, those pictures, I will never, but I don't know, quite what was inside your head. I know what the end result was, uh, but what were you thinking at, at, with those two Englishmen in, in particular? Right, I suppose some of your listeners will know, and you'll know, it was the first ever live sporting event in colour in New Zealand. So a lot of people were interested. It was a Friday afternoon, about uh, quarter past three in the afternoon. So a lot of people uh, either sneaked out of school or sneaked out of work, uh, went down to local publicers to watch if there was a colour TV there. To what's the 10,000? There's been a lot of build-up about it. David Bedford, the world record holder. Kenyans were here. And they were secretly hoping that maybe a Kiwi might might do okay. So uh, I had a lot of pressure off me, and Lydia had never told anyone I was going to win or anything like that. But apparently he did say on the, on the radio early in the morning, someone on Timaru interviewed him for the radio station down there. And he went through about how I was going because I was a local Timaru boy. And uh, he said, he's run a, I've run a very quick mile on my own, and I don't know what time it was, but he had never told me, around 3.57 on my own, about five days before. And he told that, and then he said, uh, you listeners here in Timaru are just going to tell you something. There's going to be something very special going to happen today. So Lydia must have known um, that you know, things are going well. But as you're saying, as the laps unfolded, I was running my lap times, 
uh, as told, unfortunately, you know, the rest of the field had run away from me, and I stayed at my pace. And then the field, all of a sudden, I started closing the gap. And we got down to about four, lap, five laps to go, four laps, and I ran about four minutes and three seconds the last mile. And then the crowd started getting involved. And uh, some ways it was nice, and some ways I wasn't very happy because it was alerting the other athletes that. Uh, there was someone on the chase, so uh, and the, the crowd started chanting black, 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 and it was unbelievable. Couldn't even hear the lap times. And then all of a sudden, someone must have said, "You got it wrong," because you know I was wearing black. The guy who was second was name was black, and the African guy was black. So they, the crowd had to sort that out, and, and then we counted down, and uh, and it was unreal. And talking to David Black after the race. He was told to go at 150, 150 to 120 metres out to go. But Lydia told me to go at 300. So psychologically, um, I, I had him because he wasn't ready for for me to take off at 300, which I did. And thank goodness I had to hold on. And uh, I still feel a bit embarrassed throwing my arms in the air and laying on the track, but I only did that because someone in the crowd yelled out, the bar's open. So um, that was one of those things that I had. I had my day in the sun, so to say. You know, in sport yourself, all us sportsmen, we do have a, you know, lucky enough to have moments in the sun, which is great. Yeah, look, hey, like I, I'll never. It was part of my upbringing, so this is why I'm absolutely riveted to this, and and I, I've heard you recollect it uh, from time to time before, but I, I never ever. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll not remember it. It's, it, but it's not like that was a fluke performance for you because you, you've been so experienced uh, leading into that in Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games. For God's sake, you broke the world record for a 15-year-old in 1964 when you ran 4 minutes 18 seconds. So uh, running was just it for you, was it, at, at that point? It was everything. I suppose it was. Um, yeah, and I'd always read Lydia's book and, and run to the top and... All, all those sort of books and inspired by these athletes that didn't know one day I'd meet all these people, Snell and Helberg and Bill Bailey all, and John Davies and meet all these guys and all of a sudden be running shoulders, rubbing shoulders with John Walker and, and Rod Dixon and, and all those sort of things, Bill Bailey and, and come through a, a great era that we come through. So to me it was, was ultra special but like you're saying, and, you know, a lot of people when I stepped on the track in 74 didn't realise that I was a national cross-country champion of August of 73, um, you know, mm. things were going good for me. I was training as hard as I've ever trained, ever. I weighed, when I won the National Cross Country, August of 73, I weighed 11 and a half stone. When I stepped on the track in QE2, I was 10 and a half stone. That's what 200 mile a week did to me and 500 press-ups a day. So, you know, I'd lost a stone in weight, but when I stepped on the track, I was lean and mean and, you know, I was mentally, uh, I had a lot of issues through my life, not having the confidence, but mentally Lydia got into me and got me sorted and gave me that inward confidence which was going to put me right on the day. That relationship uh, with Arthur Lydia, unbelievable. Uh, Dick, one of the other things that was of interest today, uh, um, and it coincides with your birthday as well, uh, is John Walker breaking the world record for the mile. Now, this happened in Gothenburg, Sweden, on this day, 1975, first sub-350 uh, miler, recording 3 minutes 49.4 seconds, uh, breaking the world record at that stage held by his great long-time rival, uh, Tanzanian Philbert Baye. Uh, significant time in our Olympic history as well with John Walker, who of course went on to break so many records. 
Yeah, well, John was a special guy, and I could see that. I remember when he first broke four minutes in Canada in 1973. We were over at the Pan Pacific Athletic Meeting, and I saw John break his first four-minute mile. And I felt then that John Walker had something quite special, quite special. And then, of course, when he stepped on the track in 74, um, and, you know, Philip Byer was the only guy able to beat him and then, you know, break the world record and only get second, um, that was special. So John Walker's journey had begun. But what I like about John Walker is it, he's such a nice guy. He epitomises, he's very confident, he's good with the young people. Um, he was always good to his parents and family and, you know, uh, he's a special guy. And, you know, sadly, last few years, Parkinson's has, has been, he's been fighting with that. And, um, you know, so he didn't deserve that. But John Walker, you know, very special. Peter Snell rates him our greatest uh, little distance runner ever. And that's coming from Peter Snell. That's not too bad coming from him. Um, that's what he felt about John Walker. A special guy, very special guy. Yeah. Uh, Dick, uh, you've been watching the Olympics, of course, and, um, you know, the achievements of our wonderful modern-day athletes. Uh, look, Lisa Carrington has been labelled as our greatest ever Olympian. Uh, I just wonder, you know, with uh, your experience over the years, going back to those great names you've just uh, been alluding to, whether you feel that uh, that tag belongs to her or whether perhaps in your mind, and everyone's entitled to their opinion, someone else perhaps owns that tag. Well, I don't know. I think everyone on their own right have got something special. You know, we've had some great cyclists over the years and great swimmers over the years and, you know, great track and field athletes and, and long jumpers. And, um, you know, we've had so much special, but there's so many different sports now. And at least Carrington, she, I think whatever sport she took on, she would do well at it. That's, that's the mark of the woman. Um, if she was an athlete, track and field athlete, uh, she'd be winning gold medals in whatever event she chose. Because I just think, she has got something quite quite special. So yeah, as far as rating, um, <coughs> I hate sort of pushing Snell aside or John Walker aside or their rowing eight. And I must admit, I was a rap the, the rowing eight won at these Olympics because I saw the rowing eight win in Munich and got to know some of them. So they'll be wrapped at <coughs> history repeating itself <coughs> or did repeat itself. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one. And you know, and... In cricket, all the great cricketers we've had over the years and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, great rugby players we've had. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to become good friends with Colin Meads. And um, and that, that was special. So, okay, he wasn't an Olympic athlete, but yeah. I loved the Olympics. I must have absolutely loved it. And some phenomenal performances. And it must be difficult for them because they didn't have the big crowd that they normally have at the Olympics, big international events. But... With some fantastic performances, and I was so proud of the Kiwi standing up and, and doing so well. Dick Taylor, I've loved talking to you. Speaking of uh, loving watching the Olympics, I've loved talking to you, catching up with you again. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Um, look, stay healthy, enjoy your birthday. That's the main thing. Enjoy that birthday down okay, there yeah. in Waikoiti. And hey, look, yeah. I, I hope to, to catch up with you in person at some stage. You're, you're great. I, I'd love to you're too. Um, a great. Yep. A great raconteur. I love I love those stories about Arthur Lydia and you. I really, really do. Thanks, Dick Taylor. <coughs> Fantastic. Okay, Thanks nice for joining us. An honour. Yeah, all good. All, all good, Dick. Thanks for that. My, the honour was mine, believe me. Uh, also, uh, folks, uh, you can stump me now. Uh, we're going to bring it forward because uh, of an all-black naming, uh, team naming shortly. So uh, the opportunity to stump me, win 50 bucks worth of uh, vouchers from the TAB, 
Uh, people have been creamy. Actually, lately, I've been hopeless. So uh, maybe I can be better today. I doubt it. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Be in to win. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. He sure is, and it is time for the quiz. We brought it in early, like Smithy said, because the All Blacks team just five minutes away. And we do have Alex from the Bay on the line, not Hawke's Bay, from Bay of Plenty. G'day, Alex. G'day, guys. How are you? Very well, mate. Uh, Where in the Bay are you? Currently uh, just in Mount Maunganui, uh, but up here only for work, but I do have a property here, so I'm going to claim the bay as well today. Ah, very it. nice. Very nice. I like that. All right, three sporting categories. Get three questions right. You win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB, but get one wrong, then Smithy can come in and stump you. So your sporting categories today, rugby league, summer Olympics, and tennis. What are you going to go oh, for? Oh, 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 mate, I'm going to go tennis. Tennis. Chuck me tennis. Nice. All right. Let's get started. Tennis. First question. Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. They're all locked at 20 Grand Slam singles titles. Who is next on the list? And the men's? Yeah. Or uh, Pete Sampras? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, Pistol Pete, 14 Grand Slam. Smithy, but never won the French, so never got the career Grand Slam. Were you Sampras or Agassi? Oh, it's more Agassi. Agassi uh, did it for me in terms of watching. But, uh, but if I had to back someone, I had to have my last dollar on someone, I'd take Pistol Pete nine times out of ten. He was fantastic. Yeah. You know, just methodically good. Brilliant. So good on the grass. Uh, only one man. All right, question number two. Only one man has achieved the career Super Slam, where you win all four Grand Slam tournaments and Olympic gold medal and the season-ending tour finals event. Who is that man, Alex? Wow. So if you didn't say that last one, it would have said Rod Laver, but... Gosh, yes. Profanity, please. That's a code violation. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you got me. You got me, you got me. Um, I'm going to... Andre Agassi? You have belted that out of the ground. Yep, Andre Agassi, his wife Steffi Graf also did it in women's tennis, and Serena Williams, they're the only two women's players to do so. Man, that's pretty good career achievement there. All right, final question for the 50 bucks from the TAB. Ash Barty, women's number one from Aussie. She's won two Grand Slam titles. Which ones? French Open. And the, uh, uh, sorry, US, the US Open? He's got it, he's out No, that is not correct, Smithy. A chance for a stumping. Which two Grand Slams has Ash Barty won? Oh, well, I, I thought she just won Wimbledon. Could be wrong there, but I thought she just won Wimbledon. So I'm going to go Wimbledon and, hmm. Uh, I don't think she won at home. I'm not sure she won in front of her home crowd. So I'm going to go Wimbledon and the US Open. One of the worst things 
I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Between you, you got the answer. She did win Wimbledon this year and she did win the French Open in 2019, Alex, which means Smithy missed the stumping and you are the winner today. 50 bucks from the TAB. Cheers, boys. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks, Alex. Hang on the line. We'll get your details. Well done, mate. Yeah, well done, Alex. Congratulations here. 11.29 here on SCNC. I just had a thought there. Imagine if you um, you just bought a house, uh, you know, had the money to buy a house, and you moved in next to daughter Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf, and you didn't know who they were, and you, just to be social, you asked, asked them over for a game of tennis. Good God. When you get hiding, it wouldn't be a great way to make na- uh, make friends with your neighbours. But just imagine that. <laughs> playing the, playing the, playing the, we'll invite the Agassis over for, well, we'll have a barbecue. Let's have a set or two of tennis beforehand. Yeah. That'll be lovely. Andre, Steffi, oh, yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, no, that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Uh, look, so it's coming up very shortly, uh, the all-black team naming. Um, John, any last any last thoughts on who they might be without knowing who it is? Yeah, I'm really hoping Will Jordan's back, Smithy. That hamstring that I didn't want to test him last week, I think he's absolutely electric. Um, he's got to be in the 23 somewhere, even on that right wing. I really do think that that's wide open where Sever Reese is at the moment. So I'd like to see Will Jordan on the right wing. What about yourself? Um, look, I think there might be a change in the loose forwards. That's what I'm thinking. But uh, Dalton Popperly was talking very positively uh, during the week in the very few interviews that the All Blacks give. I did read something from Dalton Popperly, which led me to believe that he would be playing again. This one comedy made something about it. We've got to get it right this time or something. So uh, we'll see. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, so it must be right on the pi- in the pipeline right now. So we'll get to the news with Trudy, and, and then of course we'll come back hopefully, and John Day will read it out to the nation. Well, that rather depressing piece of music is actually our signal for a news break. Breaking news, John, and the breaking news at this hour. Uh, this Thursday, of course, it's team naming time for the All Blacks, and you can give it to us now. I enjoy this. This is exciting. All Blacks teams, especially when they don't play so well, who's going to be kept, who's going to be cut? All right, number one, George Bauer. Number two, Cody Taylor. Number three, Nipo Laulala. Number four, Brody Retallick. Five, Sam Whitelock. Six, Akira Yuani. Seven, Dalton Papali'i. Eight, Adi Savia. Nine, Aaron Smith. Ten, Richie Maunga. 11, Sevu Reese, 12, David Havili, 13, Rico Iwani, 14, Will Jordan, 15, Damian McKenzie, and the bench, 16, Samasoni Tokiaho, 17, Carl Tuanukawafe, 18, Angus Tatavao, 19, Scott Barrett, 20, Luke Jacobson, 21, TJ Pedernada, 22, Bowden Barrett, and 23, Geordie Barrett. And that is your All Blacks team, Smithy, for Bledisloe 2. Okay, the first thing that comes to mind there is the pack is the same. It's the same starting pack as last weekend. So obviously happy with the way that, that unit went uh, for the first hour as they grew into their work. And then, of course, um, we saw the bench come into play. And there's a couple of interesting things for me coming up there. Now, first of all, uh, centre Rico Ioane. John, you've got news on Anton Leonard-Brown? Yeah, he took a knock to his knee, apparently, in Bledisloe 1, so has not been uh, picked for Bledisloe 2. And so Rico comes off that left wing and goes back into centre. Sevi Reese switches from the right to the left wing, and then Will Jordan, obviously, that hamstring's right, and he comes back into the starting 15 as the only change. 
Yeah, starting 15, so that's okay. Uh, if you look at the bench, and of course they're not happy with the way the bench played uh, in the last 20 minutes, the Australians scored three tries uh, in that time, and that is totally unacceptable. I think we'll all agree on that. Uh, so TJ Perinara comes in for Brad Weber, uh, and then Scott Barrett, who was on the bench initially last week but pulled out due to ill health, straight back in there as well. Uh, and of course no Dane Coles due to that calf injury, so... They'll be expecting more from that, so that that's interesting. TJ Perinara, uh, straight back into the fold, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it adds a bit more leadership, maybe. Although Brad Webber's a bit of a leader, he's been around long enough these days, but plays a different style of game, doesn't he, Smithy? TJ Perinara to all the other halfbacks uh, in New Zealand, probably more defence orientated, probably not as quick a pass as some others, but runs great support lines. So it's probably no better supporting halfback. In New Zealand. Um, so yeah, I think that bench will be hurting. I know that I've read some articles during the week that um, Bowden Barrett's return from Japan has been underwhelming, that he hasn't got back to his best form yet. Uh, do you agree with those sentiments? Yeah, I, I do to a large degree, but how, how much game times he actually had? You know, how many, how many times has he actually been given the opportunity to play? And, you know, even the best players take a little bit of time to get back into it. And I think Brody Retallick is a Classic example of that. Uh, what they will, of course, uh, John, no matter who, you know, what combinations they go to in those last uh, 20 minutes of the game, they're going to have to be better, but they're going to have to be disciplined as well. And surely discipline has been high on the agenda. So getting on with the, rug, with the referee and not giving away those penalties, those offside lines, etc., uh, it's going to be interesting to me uh, whether they can make the adjustment there. Yeah, um, something that the All Blacks can control and something that's maybe been part of their game in the last few years, if we think about how many cards, red and yellow, that they've had, and giving away 18 penalties last week just isn't good enough. Um, and and keeping the ball, getting more direct, I think a lot of people were right. We took callers and texts earlier in the week and going a lot side to side, and I don't think the loose forwards really carried the ball Last week, Dalton Papali, I think, made 15 tackles, so a defensive powerhouse, an absolute monster, uh, but with ball in hand, just wasn't seen. Artie Sevilla, those trademark runs, wasn't seen. Uh, even Brody, you know, um, a great ball runner, I reckon, uh, and he's got great skills too, so need to hold on to that ball more, go more direct rather than trying to play the Wallabies down the tram lines. Um, let's get stuck into them in the, in the middle of the field with some tough ball running early on and set the platform so you can spin it wide, Smitty. I wonder too, John, if we went back in history, and someone will have the answer to this. I, I have not at the top of my head. I'm not sure you will have either. The last time in history that we've had back-to-back packs stay together for test matches, you know, the way they rotate and, you know, with injuries, etc. cetera. Uh, the last time it was, we went into a test match from one week to the next with exactly the same starting pack. It, it's a little bit unusual. Are you surprised about that? Or do you think, just think Ian Foster has said to them, look, you're okay last week. You, you sort of grew into your work a wee bit, uh, but I want you to be better, and I want you to be to gr- to be better from that performance. Uh, you didn't quite get it right. Here's the opportunity to do that on a better scale this week. It, it, are you surprised at that or not? I'm not surprised, Smithy, because they need a performance. And I think if you change the team again and you change the pack again, you're changing combinations, and you've got another chance that last week can happen this week. And you don't want that. I think you've got a much better chance of getting a better performance with the guys who played last week, giving them another chance, saying, hey, you didn't get it quite right. You, you didn't nail the things that we were nailing at training. Here's another chance. Here's a final chance, maybe, for some of these players. So this is huge. I'm very excited, actually, um, just to see whether they can right the wrongs from last week. 
um, yeah, and it will be against in front of a smaller crowd, Smithy, but um, still a massive game. Yeah, I think now that the team's been, team's been named, um, that might convince a few people to either go or to stay at home. Uh, that would be interesting in itself. Do people think, well, there's not enough change there to inspire me to go and buy a ticket? Are you governed by the team that they pick? Uh, we haven't heard uh, yet the Wallabies always name their team second. That'll be later this afternoon, whether they'll make a lot of changes. I don't think they will. I think Dave Rennie was pretty happy that they were close to the mark. Had they kicked their goals, uh, that, you know, we might have been talking about an entirely different result. Uh, so Rennie, I think, will stay pretty close to the fold. Uh, but yeah, uh, we want your texts. We want uh, your reaction to that uh, team naming. I've also already got three or four coming in. Uh, people are pretty hot on it, actually, to be fair. They don't think there's uh, too much uh, change about it. They don't see anything too much different coming out of it. Uh, 8833 is our text number there, so make sure you get in and have your say. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Coming up to midday here, it's 11.44, Mark Stafford just before noon uh, with what's on his show between 12 and 4 this afternoon. Texts have been very busy. Rico at centre, John, you should be listening to some of these. Uh, oh dear, I, on my way to the TAB to punt those Aussies big time now. Same old, same old, Foster a boring man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does this mean Geordie is midfield cover? That's from Neil. Um, people saying, look, uh, we're always very quick to jump on the Ed says bad, bad performance. Uh, he wants uh, head served and want head served up. Embrace it while we have a say and go too. He says we don't know uh, just how lucky we are in this country to have big sporting events that people can go to. So, uh, and I think that is true, to Ed too, to a large degree. Uh, I think you know if you're thinking about going, you should go. You should really go. Hi, hi Ian. Bloody harsh on Brad Weber. In my humble opinion, a better halfback than TJ, uh, and our future along with Finlay Christie. TJ is a has been. Well, that's interesting. I'm not sure uh, a lot of people will agree with that, with you, Neil, on that one. Uh, also, uh, uh, g'day, fellas. I'm missing John's hot knives. What are the chances of getting his true thoughts on the selection? Uh, really enjoying SENZ. Keep up uh, the good work. Week at reserve, tight head prop, says uh, Ross. We didn't win a scrum after Ta'aval came on. We need off a tee back. Well, uh, he's on the way back, we, we understand. Uh, New Zealand... The last New Zealand to ref an all-black test was Dave Bishop before we went natural uh, with referees. So uh, we'll have, I think, uh, will it be uh, who would it be refereeing this weekend? I'm just trying to think of the options available. I doubt uh, whether Paul, Paul Williams would do two in a row. Um, <clears throat> what am I thinking in terms of the all-blacks versus Aussie point start this weekend? Well, I was pretty bullish about the all-blacks last week. I I'm going to be bullish about them again this week. I, I do believe that they'll win in a little bit more comfortably. Uh, on the, on the score, I think they'll be better across the board. But I do think the Australians will kick their goals better. So maybe that'll be um, another close one. Maybe uh, under ten points yet again, uh, which would be mm, which, which would be interesting. Uh, would off the bench Savia for Jacobson this time? Though I think the team is to be expected. If ALB wasn't injured, probably no changes at all. Really, says that one texter. Uh, th these team selections, says uh, Liam. Uh, give me no faith in Ian Foster and Grant Fox. It's clear to see that Ioane is a winger. I still don't understand how you can drop the two-time World Rugby Player of the Year. Of course, Bowdoin Barrett. Uh, no real cover for, for centre. Geordie might have to cover if Rico gets hurt. Mm, so, John, as always, when an all-black team is named, 
people are pretty hot in certain areas and supportive to a large degree in others. Oh, it brings a massive smile to my face, Smithy. The passion's still there. Like, we talk down the All Blacks, we're disappointed, a half full Eden Park, but we've had more texts than ever on an All Blacks team that has one change to the starting 15. So people are passionate, people just want to see more, and you normally do. After the All Blacks disappoint you once, they often don't do it two times in a row, Smithy. So uh, what can the Wallabies come up with this week that they will be able to challenge what we think will be a much better all Blacks team. Marika Corey and Betty will return, you'd imagine, somewhere to give them even more punch in the back line. Um, but I think we need to test them more in their back line, in their midfield especially. Um, you know, they're, they're quite attacking players. They've got players playing out of position on the wings uh, with Pattaya. I just think we can be, I just want to be a lot more direct and really outmuscle them this week. That's what we do best against the Wallabies. You don't want to play them in a helter-skelter game because that's what they love playing. So I just want to see Havili and now Rico uh, just play really direct. And Rico, when he plays centre, always wants to take the outside. And I think um, opposition midfielders give him the outside, so he ends up running his winger out of space. I want to see him come inside or go straight and give his outside some room to run. He's got to remember he's not a winger. He's a centre this week. So uh, a lot of eyes, I think, on Rico Ioane. Yeah, well, let's speak uh, about his brother, Akira. You, you were pretty happy with that performance, were you? I mean, there has been a text come through and say Ethan Blackadder is much more raw-boned, much tougher, uh, and probably would be a better selection in that pack. What do you make of that? If you're looking for an enforcer, which we always are, because we had Jerry Collins and Jerome Kano for years, and they smashed people and bent them in half, and that's what we want a number six to do. Uh, I don't think I saw Akira Yuani do that, but I didn't see... Akira Yuani getting loose or putting in one effort and then not putting in a second effort. So I think he played a lot tighter, which was great. Uh, we saw him once go down the sideline, I think uh, put in a pretty average offload at one point. Um, so maybe a little bit uh, better with his offloading, but I think he is playing tighter and I think he's a lot more fit these days. So pretty happy with Akira. I think he deserved another chance because I'm a huge Ethan Blackadder fan, huge Shannon Frizzell fan of course, being a Tasman man, but I think Akira deserved it, Smithy, but he probably needs to be better in some areas. Okay, I've just been uh, given the message too from uh, a texter to say that uh, there's a little bit of controversy in the selection of the referee. It will not be Paul Williams, of course he was uh, he was last week and copped a little bit of flack for the number of penalties dished out, the fact there was no cards uh, being dished out at the same time. So I'm told on good advice here, John, that Brendan Pickerel will be, will be refereeing the second Bettisloe Cup match. Uh, and that is over a much more experienced Mike Fraser. They were the two ARs last weekend, the assistant refs. Um, yes, so Brendan Pickerel, for him, I would imagine, the biggest occasion. Uh, and also an interesting thought on the referees, too, coming through that. Uh, a gentleman who was a referee t- saying that's natural, he thinks, to be harder on your own team. Uh, as a local referee, because you don't want to be accused of bias, and and it's just it's a fact of the matter. This uh, because of the bubble situation. Now, I imagine if they had uh, rethought it, uh, Australia could have perhaps brought a referee within the bubble, uh, one of their own. So they could have had a referee this weekend, or maybe last weekend, or even it out a wee bit. Uh, yeah, so Brendan Pickerel, uh, the man in the middle, with uh, supposedly the most say, but quite often uh, the way the system works, it's not the case. Yeah, hopefully um, we won't be talking about Brendan Pickerall on Monday. Uh, that's always a good sign. If you're not talking about the referee after the game, then they've had a good job. And we didn't really talk about the referee after the last game. We were more talking about the All Blacks themselves, who actually um, 
you know, got themselves offside and, 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 you know, made the mistakes themselves rather than the referee. So, you know, I got no problems with the refereeing from last week, Smithy, and hopefully uh, we won't be talking about them on Monday. No, hopefully not. Uh, another one in support of uh, TJ Perina, uh, saying uh, Perinara saying uh, TJ is an interesting change. I believe he is the key part to the All Blacks' chances. He gives us that left foot kicking option as well from the base um, and also uh, opens up more space from set piece once he gets on. Should Geordie start or stand out in Super Rugby, carried the Hurricanes at times? Danny, you're absolutely right. He certainly did that. He was the key to pretty much everything they did, uh, Geordie Barrett. But uh, at the moment, we won't be seeing him um, until it's off the bench, uh, probably late in the match. It's 11.52 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, Mark Stafford, he might have a quick opinion on that team and some re- reaction to it throughout the afternoon. Staffy next. On SENZ. Mark Stafford looks after the show from uh, 12 to 4 this afternoon and uh, he's the lucky one. He gets to reflect in depth on, on a new all-black squad naming or an all-black team naming. Uh, Staffy, good morning to you. The team has just come out uh, initially. Uh, for you, your thoughts? My initial thoughts, Smithy, is a very mobile forward pack, which I think might be a bit of a glimpse into how they're going to play the game. Um, when you look at that loose forward trio, with, as soon as Artie goes to number eight, I think mobile. Dalton Papali probably a little bit more aggressive than Artie in close, which will allow Artie to roam. And I also think with George Bauer and Nipo Lalala in the front row with Cody Taylor, just looks very mobile to me. Quite excited by it. Would you be going this weekend? I know you weren't, weren't able to because you were on duty, I think, with TVNZ with the Olympics or, or something of the like. Would you go? I mean, the ticket sales seem to be an issue. Yeah, and I thought they would be. You know, two times, if you look at a family of mum, dad, two kids, is about $200. Um, can you do that two weeks running? But take a point that you made earlier that, you know, Chris Hipkins has said if we get a Delta variant here, the whole country's going in lockdown four, so this might be the last opportunity, Smithy. I won't be going because I've pre-booked something else this weekend, but um, I've been to hundreds and hundreds of games with work, as you know, so it probably doesn't hold as much appeal to me as it might do others. But, yeah, I, if I was a normal punter, I probably would go because it might be the last time we get to do it in, in big numbers for quite a while. Mark Stafford this afternoon between 12 and 4 will be featuring who and what? Well, I've broken the radio sin, Smithy. I've got one of your guests on as my first guest, Ollie Ritchie. We, uh, our producers didn't chat. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to get him to cast his eye over the All Black squad. Also got Pat McKendry, who's a great writer, to, to talk about that as well. So two, two bites at that later on in the show. Uh, Shane Harmon from the Wellington Sky Stadium uh, going to give Beavana a pump because they missed the All Blacks test along with Wayne Goldsmith, our coaching guru, and I'm just waiting on a reply from Jamie McIntosh, who's Ford Coates for Otago, who are coming to the base, Smithy, with a shield on the line. They are indeed, 4.35, Saturday afternoon staff. Can't wait for that game. That'll be very exciting. Uh, thanks very much, everybody, this morning. It's been fantastic. Uh, Brian, JD, uh, they came fifth, by the way. And Trudy with the news. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Always exceptional. Enjoy Mark Stafford. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91